This week, all our lives changed. Uh, I can announce that after schools shut their gates from Friday afternoon, they will remain closed for most pupils, for the vast majority of pupils, until further notice. One by one, countries around the world are closing up shop. Life as we know it is cancelled. And then suddenly our whole world changed. Everything exploded. I'm David Aronovich and you're listening to Stories of Our Times, a new daily podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. Each day we explore one story in depth, taking you behind the headlines. Today, the virus part four, a world shut down. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You probably aren't listening to this podcast on your commute or in the office or in a cafe or on a bus. You may well be like me at home, wondering what on earth just happened and what it means for your future. During his first televised daily update, Boris Johnson says now is the time to take drastic action against the COVID-19 outbreak. He says he knows some people will feel like the measures are excessive. On today's show, one of the country's most respected medical experts... He's campaigned vociferously for the kind of measures the Prime Minister is now belatedly adopting. But big changes are happening all over the globe. Everyone, Times journalists included, is adjusting to a strange world. You might call it a new surreality. Hello, this is Josh Glancy, Washington correspondent for the Sunday Times. I am just checking in with you from coronavirus-stricken Washington, D.C. I have currently ventured out into Whole Foods. What I'm really looking to stock up on is wine, because what I've noticed is that spending 23 and a half hours at home, I'm drinking more. Hello, this is Louise Callahan. I'm the Middle East correspondent for the Sunday Times. Usually I'm based in Istanbul, but I am currently in my sixth day of isolation in Western Sweden. So it's eight o'clock. I've just had a knock on the door. Through the window, I can see my parents standing outside, lit up nicely with a nice torch. They are keeping their distance because they are dropping off food for me. Hello. Hi. Thanks for me. My mum's thrown in some frozen peas through the door. I'm Richard Lloyd Parry, the Asia editor of The Times, based in Japan and Tokyo. And it's Friday the 13th of March. 
It's the middle of the morning uh, and I'm not at work. And my daughter, Stella, who's 10, is not at school either. Stella, why aren't you at school? Because of the virus. I'm Anna Summers-Cox and I'm a journalist in the field of art who normally flits between London and Turin, but not anymore. Since Wednesday the 11th of March, the whole of Italy, including me, has been in lockdown. It's like a long holiday, but with a horror movie spliced into it because you don't quite know how bad it's going to get. Earlier this week, I spoke to one of the most influential men in British medicine. My name is Richard Horton and I'm editor-in-chief of The Lancet. For months, he's been sounding a warning about how the world should be responding to COVID-19. His perceptions began to be formed soon after the new year. In early January, when we started to have signals from Beijing that something very strange was taking place in China. We started to hear about a a very odd new infection that was discovered in Wuhan, a place that, quite honestly, I was unaware of before. When you look back on your reaction then, let's say mid, late January, did you foresee how quickly things would change for all of us? Very quickly, we did see, uh, when we understood Wuhan and what a central transport hub it was for China and indeed actually for the whole of Asia, suddenly the penny dropped that actually this was about the worst possible city you could possibly have for distributing a virus in that part of the world. And then suddenly our whole world changed. Everything exploded. Again, what really changed my perspective was a paper we received from Hong Kong which described what at the time, this was at the end of January, what at the time seemed unthinkable, that as many as 80,000, 90,000 people in China were going to get this infection. Nobody believed that back in January. And Gabriel Lung in Hong Kong, professor of medicine, explained in the paper that he thought there was a risk of a global pandemic. And again, nobody really believed that in January. And I think people initially, when he first reported this, thought he was scaremongering. But I know Gabriel well, and he's not a scaremongering type. And that made me think, oh, oh my God. Tom Whipple, Times Science Editor, read the same academic paper. I didn't believe him at the time. As humans, we have quite strong cognitive biases against thinking that things like this would happen. We've had warnings like this before. There's been periodic H5N1s, which is one of the avian flus. There was swine flu in 2009, which actually killed hundreds of thousands of people, but did so with such a large proportion of the world's population that we didn't notice. My initial reaction was, well, it's very interesting that this has It's happening in China. It's very sad for the Chinese people who are dying. But, you know, just last week in Britain, a few dozen people died of flu. So why are we we worried about this? We saw it take off in South Korea, in Iran, and then in Italy. As I watched the strategies evolve and the World Health Organization desperately try and get some traction, then I started to worry. But I think, like everyone, it was a slow creeping. Each week, each day, this seems to get more serious. I went to see Tedros, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, who's the Director General of WHO, several weeks ago, in Geneva at the World Health Organization headquarters. He had his 
head in his hands. He called for $675 million from countries to be invested in this outbreak response. And he had such criticism for not calling a public health emergency of international concern. And then he had done. And then he called on the world to give him just $675 million. He got $1 million only from countries, um, from some of the richest donors to WHO. And he was tearing his hair out because he could see this tsunami of this virus engulfing the world. We have had lots of warnings about pandemics, and the warnings have always been justified. I've, I've never, ever doubted that pandemics are serious and they're a serious threat to humanity. But equally, any individual pandemic, there's a tendency to think this isn't the one. This isn't the one that's going to change the world. What many countries have tried to do is, first of all, get a handle on how large a problem they have. And for that, you need to test. Once you've found that somebody has got COVID-19, then you need to see whether all their contacts have got it as well. So then you need to do this practice called contact tracing. So you test, you diagnose, you contact trace, you try and put a cordon sanitaire, so to speak, around the infection, around the individual. We have a simple message for all countries. Test, test, test. Test every suspected case. That's Dr Tedros. If they test positive, isolate them and find out who they have been in So that's the first thing, surveillance. The second intervention that's really, really crucial is social distancing. Keeping people away from one another. There are several practical measures you can take to protect yourself from the new coronavirus. One of the most important is regular, safe and effective hand hygiene. And that combined with personal hygiene, this regular washing of hands for 20 seconds, four or five times a day using hand sanitizers, those procedures are very powerful for limiting the potential spread of infection. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The next level of intervention is avoiding mass gatherings. Different countries have different numbers. I think in Singapore, it's around 500. Some countries have said 1,000. But the point is simple. Don't allow yourself to be in contact with reasonably large numbers of people because that can enable the virus to take off. What is your understanding of what the Chinese believe about this, given that they have implemented these much more drastic measures at social isolation? I think the Chinese strategy was to try and extinguish the infection as quickly as possible, just to stop transmission. So in China, it was full-on close down cities, stop transport, isolate families and have pretty draconian public order policies for that to happen. And we saw that, some some pretty frightening human rights abuses in the process, I might add. But what they did was they just wanted to extinguish any possibility of transmission. But firstly, Mm. let's just think about what you perceive as having happened in the countries that have pursued, if you like, more draconian policies. In terms, well, of, in terms of the infection itself? Well, you use the word draconian, um, and I understand that in the context of China. But let's take a country, or it's a city-state like Singapore. My fellow Singaporeans, good evening. Here in Singapore, we have all along taken COVID-19 with the utmost seriousness. The Singaporean approach was test, test, test. They tested everybody, as as many as they could find, and they contact traced as aggressively as they could. They put in very good public education campaigns about personal hygiene. Each time, we've been able to isolate them, do contact tracing, and quarantine the close contacts. They've got measures around social distancing, remote working, staggering work so that not everybody's in work all at the same time, but you have shifts. Containment has been phenomenally successful. And I think I'm right in saying they have not had one death in Singapore. They've really been able to control the outbreak without going as far as China has. South Korea, they were not able to contain the outbreaks as effectively as Singapore. And then they have had to go to more radical measures, which have been particularly around this this church uh, and isolating people, quarantining people. This one church where a lot of people got it. Exactly. Possibly because of this one woman. Exactly. And then they've had to have very aggressive quarantining procedures there. But they've also been able to get a handle on that. Richard, what picture are we seeing from what other countries in Europe are doing? So we're seeing much more aggressive policies on social distancing, for example, in France, seeing... Café Society in France literally just shut down. Who would have thought that? I was in Paris just two weeks ago, and as spring was starting, it was vibrant. Everybody was on the streets. Well, that's just stopped. The same in Spain, and we're going to see that across all of northern Europe as well. But those policies, as as dramatic, as draconian maybe as, as they seem, are the only way that you can cut transmission. E per questo che sto per firmare un provvedimento 
che possiamo sintetizzare con l'espressione io resto a casa non ci sarà più una Italy, zona unfortunately rossa. is a country where, where Uh, they've not been able to do so, although now having locked the country down, I think we can be pretty confident that although we're going to, they're going to go through over the next two weeks a horrendous burden of both morbidity and mortality with a huge pressure on the health system um, and intensive care, but they're going to come through this. And what about the United States? I'm very worried about the US because they don't have a health system. Um, their system of private insurance means that there really is no public health infrastructure at all. Now, if, if you think about this idea of health security, global health security depends upon individual health security. And individual health security, protecting your health, depends upon universal health coverage, a national health service. The countries that are going to survive this pandemic most successfully are going to be the countries that have the strongest national health systems. America doesn't have a national health system. So for the US, I think that in, there's a, an incredible threat, actually, not just to the health of Americans, but actually to public safety and public order, because you're going to see communities devastated by this outbreak. Tom, can you just sort of characterise Britain's initial response to coronavirus? We started off with a policy of mitigate, this idea that we would cope with it and we would control the spread and we would make sure the country kept functioning. Now, I spoke to scientists at the time who were pro that, scientists who were against it, but there was no one who had the certainty to say this is definitely wrong, or few people, perhaps with the exception of Richard Horton. We are on the prongs of a very serious dilemma, which is you can stop it, you can completely suppress it, or you can mitigate it. And if you suppress it, then you probably have fewer deaths, but you have to keep going quite likely until we get a vaccine. And that is the situation we are now in. And it is an astonishing situation to be in. Now, the reason we're in this situation now is, I think we can largely put it down to something that happened on Monday night. Everyone up to date with the national fight back against the new coronavirus and the decisions that we've just taken in COBRA for the whole of the, of the UK. As we said last week, Our objective is to delay... So there was an announcement from Downing Street. We all saw it. We saw Boris Johnson standing up and effectively putting the country in lockdown. And you should avoid pubs, clubs, theatres and other such social venues. Even if you don't have symptoms, and if no one in your household has symptoms... It was quite, quite jaw-dropping. And it didn't completely make sense why that had happened then until just a few minutes later, there was a press conference, and this time it was a closed press conference. I, I was at it to another science journalist, where one of the epidemiologists who'd been advising the government, Neil Ferguson, had rushed from Downing Street to present his paper, which his, him and his team at Imperial had produced. And it was one of the most astonishing documents I've ever seen. It was the most astonishing press conference I've ever been in. 
I was already working from home. I phoned into it. It was held at the Wellcome Trust in a floor which is run by the Science Media Centre. And they held this and they'd invited along science journalists and medical journalists. A lot of us, even by then, were phoning in because we were working from home. It was quite difficult to believe that we were experiencing it. And afterwards, I emailed and got in touch with my other scientific colleagues just to check I hadn't completely misunderstood it. Could we really have been sitting there in a press conference where... Neil Ferguson said that the government's current policy had us on course for a quarter of a million deaths. But that's what he said. And that, of course, explained, to my mind, the turnaround that had happened just a few minutes earlier in Downing Street. The thing that they were then advocating was also jaw-dropping, because what hadn't been said in Boris Johnson's press conference was that these measures are here for the long haul. Britain is not going to be the same for a year or more. I know it might well be a bit too soon to say, but as far as you can tell, how well is it working? We've all seen pictures of Covent Garden empty. Of it, It's quite clear that lots of public transport is empty. Far fewer people are going out. And that sort of is proof it must be working because, you know, this is a virus. It's just a virus. We know how viruses work. And if people aren't meeting, then it's not going to spread as well. If we look at the rest of Europe and Asia, are we sort of now where they were a few weeks ago? I think we're catching up pretty rapidly with the basic global consensus of what what to do on this. And so we shall see. I mean, obviously, Asia's a long way ahead now. And Some of them are indeed lifting restrictions and we'll be watching to see what happens there pretty closely. Richard, like me, like all of us, you have family, you've got friends and so on. I mean, how are you feeling about this now? I feel scared that for my family, what's going to happen to them? I feel scared for... The health service, one of the tragedies in Italy is that 20% of health workers who've been managing this outbreak in Lombardy have become infected with this virus. And of those 20%, doctors and others, nurses have died. And that will happen here. And so the people on the front line, the first responders to this outbreak, they're going to bear a huge burden of this epidemic. What can we do to help them? They need personal protective equipment. We need to be making sure that they are protected in every possible way. And one of the concerns is we don't have enough personal protective equipment for our health workers who are on the front line. And that needs to be an absolute priority. Again, from my contacts in the NHS who are on the front line, that that equipment is not available to them at the moment in many, many places. And that is a serious concern. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Editor-in-Chief of The Lancet, Dr Richard Horton, and The Times Science Editor, Tom Whipple. The producers were Asia Fuchs and Will Rowe, the executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella, music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe now to never miss an episode, We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. See you tomorrow.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.